So just to catch you up, um, if you haven't been here for the past few weeks, we, we're asking the question, um, well, first of all, open your Bibles to 2 Peter. Let's go with 2 Peter. <laughs> if I'm wrong, I can always change that. We've been asking the question the past few weeks, What's the church supposed to do in the last days? Because, we, you know, you might hear a lot of people say, it's the last days, it's the end times. And, and you, you go, am I supposed to be scared? Am I supposed to be excited? What, what, what's supposed to happen here? And they go, look at the signs, look at the news, look at the internet. And you go, yeah, 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 okay, okay. And, and, you know, that's good. We should be paying attention. Do you know, uh, somebody, I heard somebody say, and I, I thought this was a kind of a clever thing to say, but they were talking about God awakening, awakening his people and they said, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? Now, we might all have different answers, but one of the first things most people do when they wake up, at least if they have something to do with their lives, is that they look at the clock and see what time it is, right? Do you do that? Some of you are like, well, I do that because of my concern is, it's not my concern, but I mean, I don't want to oversleep. I want to be aware of what time it is. Do I need to, did I oversleep? Did I... Am I up early? One of the greatest things in the world is when you wake up like two hours before you're supposed to be up. And unless the Lord's quickening you to pray, that means you get two more hours of sleep. And it's just, you feel like you're in bonus time. But uh, one of the first things you do is you pay attention to the time. And you know, it's interesting in the scripture that one of the things that the believers are meant to do when they wake up is to pay attention to the time. You know, Paul talked about that. He said, it's time to awaken. The, the time is over for us to be drunk, and the time is over for us to be asleep. Let's wake up. And so, you know, there's a lot to do with waking up, being awakened to God, and paying attention to what time you're living in. But, the, the, you know, we've, we've talked about how people will, people will intuitively know that, yeah, it's the last days, yeah, it's the end times, but what am I supposed to do about that? And so what we're spending our time in these past few weeks and in the next few weeks is we're looking at the scripture and see what does the Bible say that the church should do in the last days? Are we, oh, should we build bunkers? Because that'd be cool. But I don't see anything in the Bible that tells me to build any bunkers. Um, should I buy stock in uh, like MREs, like military meals ready to eat, you know, that I can... <laughs> Mike is hot. You know, should, should we, uh, well, I, I could go on with examples, but I think what we should do is we should look in the scripture and see what God says, here's what I want you to do in these days. We talked about the fact that from the book of Acts, from the day of Pentecost, Peter said, these are the last days. So we are in the last season before the return of Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. From the age of the first apostles until now, I believe is the same season. It's not a different season. The season didn't change when John the apostle died. The season didn't change when the, when the 12 went away. It's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same church. And so even when we say the early church, sometimes we say the early church and we kind of make that a different church. The early church is just the church, Right? You know, it's not a different group of people. It's not a different dispensation. The early church is just the church in, in an earlier time, but it's, it's not a separate group. And we're part of their race. You know, Hebrews 11 says that we're running a race that other people started, and their race isn't done if we don't finish ours. It's a relay race. We've taken the baton. So we're completing what they started. 
And they're just, they're just running the race that started with Adam. You know, th- this, is, this is a story God's been telling throughout history. And uh, you go back to Noah, you go back to Abraham, you go back to Isaac and Jacob. And, and this story, this, this race of faith has been run, and we're part of it. In these, and I believe we're in the final stages, but I don't, know what, I don't know how many, I couldn't put a calendar date on what final stages look like. But we're going to look at the Word and see what the Bible says about the last days and what we're supposed to do about it. So look in 2 Peter with me. And we're going to go to chapter 3. 2 Peter is, is not, uh, it's not a letter that you, uh, you just sit back on the couch and mull over and a- ask philosophical questions and just think about deep things and, and you know, just kind of daydream. 2 Peter is, is an action letter. It's a letter that's written to a group of people that were under some distress um, stuff was happening. It was happening at a rapid rate. You may know this was during the reign of Nero in Rome. It was during the great persecution of the Christians. There was a time where it, it had started on the edges of the empire, and then it came, um, and, and it came hard. And so the things that they're writing aren't just like, let's sit back and think about, uh, let's think about topics to discuss. This is life and death for them. And I believe that it's not just for those people, it's for us. We need to hear it. Because as much as they were in the last days, so are we, right? We're further in it than they were. So these things are just as applicable to us as it was to the people that Peter wrote this letter to. And of course, we say Peter wrote the letter, and he did, but it was by the breathing, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So in 2 Peter 3... He says this, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring you up your sincere mind by way of a reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Do you know that it's not enough to hear something once and just move on? Many times we're looking to hear something new that we've never heard before. But a lot of times what we really need is to be stirred up to the things we already have heard and be reminded of them and put them into action. So he says, I'm, I want to stir up your sincere mind. That's important to have a sincere mind. You might wonder what a sincere mind is. It's a pure mind. It's a mind that is honest about what we're here for. It's not a mind that's just trying to find new questions. It's not a mind that's trying to find a new argument. It's a mind that says, I want, I want to be renewed. I want to know what I'm supposed to do in these days. He says, I'm stirring your minds up. I'm reminding you of some things so that you can be ready. Then he says this, know this first of all. That in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. Well, that makes sense, right? What do mockers bring? They bring, they bring mocking. They bring mocking. Mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Now listen to this. Uh, if you think that maybe they're just saying that just because, um, just because they, they've been taught that or maybe they, they, they think everybody's missed it, it's interesting that he says they're following after their own lust. So there's, there's something behind why they want to deny that Jesus is coming. And, and one of the reasons is 
they're tired of living like he's coming. They, they, they want to just kind of dive into the world right now. They, they want to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. They're, they, they're getting to the point where they're tired of hearing. In these last days, there'll be people that are tired of hearing you say Jesus is coming. I don't, you've probably experienced this, right? You've probably had people say, I don't want to hear that anymore. I don't want to hear that Jesus is coming back. And you know what? I'll be honest. There's been times where I've been tired of people saying it, not because I was tired of hearing Jesus is coming, but I was tired of their theories of what was going to happen when he came. I got tired of them saying, well, you know, uh, this guy's the Antichrist because every 10 years it's a new guy. I got tired of them saying this is what's happening, pretending they knew exactly what was happening in every place in the world. I got tired of it. And so I didn't guard my own heart, and I let that affect how I viewed the return of Christ. I never should have let that happen because it hardened my heart. And you really shouldn't let other people's getting in the ditch put you in the other ditch, right? So many times we're so afraid of the ditch on the west side that we run to the ditch on the east side. And guess what? You're both in the ditch. So there, I, there was a time where I didn't want to hear about it. I was tired of it. But you know, we're going to hear in this chapter how God wants us to be talking about his return. How he wants us to be thinking about his return. How he wants us to be excited about it. How he wants us to be looking forward and in fact hastening the day of his return. So he says here that there are going to be people and they're going to be mocking. They're going to say, you guys have been talking about this for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I heard it back in the 80s. Yeah, I heard it in the 90s. In fact, I, these guys were saying it 2,000 years ago, Jesus is coming. Where is it? And, and he says that there's something behind it. They're going to come. They're not just mocking. They're bringing their own lusts because they want to live for today, and they're tired of you telling them to live for eternity. They want to just live for right now. Now, he says this. He says, for ever since the fathers, this is what they're saying. This is what the mockers are saying. Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues. So ever since our forefathers died, everything's been the same since the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But don't let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. What's he saying? He's saying, we're sitting here going, well, you said he was coming soon. You said this was coming right now. Where is it? And he goes, guys, God doesn't live, on time, live, live in time like we do. Time is not the issue for him. So a thousand years passes like a day to him, and a day can be like a thousand years to him. And it can go both ways. He doesn't live in a timeline like we do. We go from beginning to end. God's in all of it. God was in the future and the past and the present all at once. Everything that's going to happen, God's already there. He's not wondering what's going to happen. He's not sitting back going, you know, I wonder if they make this decision, I'm going to have to see what happens here. He's already there. He, he's already in the future. He's, in the, he, he's not constricted to our timeline. So he says, guys, you think that God's being slow, but a thousand years could go by just like this. Or conversely, one day to us could be like a thousand years to him. Think how much he could get done in a thousand years. 
We say God couldn't come through in a day. Well, yeah, it could be like a thousand years to him. You know, we sometimes think, we imagine that those loved ones that have gone on before us are sitting there waiting on our timeline. Like if they've been, if they've been, uh, with, the, if they've been with the Lord for 15 years, that they've had 15 years of heaven. To them, I don't know. It could seem like you're going through the gates at the exact same time they are. Or it could be like they've been there for 5,000 years. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? We don't know that. We just know they're not on our timeline. Now, I believe God allows people to step in and out of that. You know, John, as we read in Revelation, God let him step into the timeline of heaven. And he saw things play out. But he was seeing like the Christmas story and the fall of Satan and the end of the world all happening like in one little scene. That's a picture of how things happen. So here, he says, guys, you just think that God's slow about his promise, but you don't understand that a thousand years is like a day to him, a day is like a thousand years. And he goes, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. See, this is the wonderful thing about becoming more like Jesus is you get less selfish, Right? Right? I was just checking. Maybe I was wrong. <laughs> you see, a selfish person said, a selfish person, a, a shellfish, you got your lobsters and your crabs, and you wonder, what, what are they thinking about the end times? Have you ever asked them? No, a, a selfish person is saying, Lord, get me out of here as fast as possible. I hate these people. Or maybe you don't hate these people, but you think life is rough, Take me now. Take me now, Lord. God, why are you waiting so long? But when you take on the heart of Christ, you begin to look around and go, there's a lot of people here that don't know Jesus, and I really want them to. See, the heart of the Father is to seek and to save, right? Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost. So, uh, you know, for him, the goal, the big goal is not to get you out of here as fast as possible. The big goal is that people would be saved. And so he says here, God isn't slow. He's patient, right? He's patient. His goal, I mean, come on. I think a lot of people miss the heart of the Father, miss the heart of God. There was a famous sermon by a man I I, I respect, but uh, in uh, colonial, well, early colonial times in the United States, there was a famous preacher that preached a sermon about God holding sinners over the flames like spiders. Can't wait to drop them. But you know, that's not the picture we see with Jesus. He didn't come hoping to doom the world. He said, in fact, I've come to do the opposite. I've came to save them. And so God is not hoping to keep heaven as this elite heaven, the new heaven, the new earth, this this kingdom that he's building. He doesn't want it to be this elite club where only special, special people got in. He wants to redeem his creation, right? Now, he still gives us a choice. That's why some will perish. But that's not God that wants you to perish, right? That's God's not God's will. He said he is not willing that any should perish. That's not his will. He gave you the choice, but it's not his will. Jesus said, when I am lifted on the cross, I'll draw everybody to myself. That's why I have a bit of a problem with the doctrine that tells you that God chose some people to just go to hell and God chose some people for heaven because he said, if I'm lifted up on the cross, I'll draw everybody. I'll draw everybody. There's nobody I'm saying you don't have a shot. I want everybody. 
Does God know who will choose? Yeah, he does. Like I said, he's already there. But you got that choice. And so he is patient. See, when you take on the heart of God, you are, you can feel these two things at once and, and not be a hypocrite. You can be excited and say, come Lord Jesus. And you can also say, Lord, let's save as many as we can. You know what I'm saying? And some people, that doesn't make sense. They feel like you got to pick one or the other. But, but the scripture seems to indicate we can feel both. We'd be excited for his return, but we can also say, Lord, help me redeem the time. Help me make the most of every opportunity because I know the time is short and I want to love people like you love them. So the goal is not my escape. The goal is salvation for everyone I can touch. And listen, the truth of the matter is, listen, uh, you read these letters that talk about Jesus coming back. And I, I, I take Jesus seriously when they asked him, when are these things going to happen? And he says, it's not up to me, it's up to the Father. You think about it. There's a couple times Jesus said, there's some things that are above my pay grade. You think that Jesus knows everything, but there were times they said, who can sit next to you on your right hand and your left? He goes, that's not up to me, that's up to the Father. They said, when is the kingdom coming? He says, that's not up to me, that's up to the Father. So if Jesus says that, boy, I can sure say that, right? And uh, that's up to the Father, the times and the, and the epochs and the seasons. But you know, one of these things is, I, I, so if Jesus could say that, I'm sure the apostles that wrote these letters, there are times when you read what they wrote and you think, I bet when they wrote this, they thought, this could happen, this could happen in a few years. This could happen in my lifetime, right? Do you think Paul was like, I'm going to write and tell him Jesus is coming quickly, but I know he's not coming for a couple thousand years. <laughs> no, it seems like he didn't know. He just thought it was soon. So here's the question. Would they be better off knowing that they were going to all fall asleep? They were all going to lay their bodies down. Would they be better knowing that than believing that Jesus could come in their lifetime? If that were the case, then I believe that's the way the scripture would have been written. I think that they lived better lives and they did exactly what they were supposed to do as if he were coming tomorrow or he were coming in 100 years. They lived their lives with every moment, every year that it may be their last. The truth of the matter is, in view of eternity, the 70, 80, 90, 120, whatever, how many ever years you're living on this earth will seem like that. Yeah. <clears throat> it won't seem like barely anything at all. And so the time we have, whether or not it's ended by that trumpet sounding and us getting snatched up, or it ends with you putting your body in, the, someone putting your body in the ground, either way, your time is short right now. This time is short. We're going to live forever, but this time is short. It's precious. He's patient, he says, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. What does that mean? It means it's going to surprise some people, right? You know, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, and he told us, he told them, and he's telling us, that uh, the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It, it'll be a surprise to many people. And when many people are saying things are going smooth, that's when things are going to be upended. But he says, for us that are in the day, 
it won't be a, it won't be a shock to us. It won't be a terrible event. It'll be a joyous event, and we'll be ready for it. So we shouldn't we shouldn't be caught off guard by his return. We should be ready. And he says, so he's going to come like a thief, which means, you know, for those not paying attention, they're going to be cut off guard, caught off guard. It's going to take them by surprise. But he says this, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, the earth and its work will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? You know, he started out by saying, people are going to say, when's Jesus coming back? You've been saying he's coming soon. I don't see him. <coughs> That's how he started. But he hasn't talked about that point for a bit. He hasn't really focused on changing people's mind about Jesus' return. He wants us to focus on why it matters that we know that he's coming back and this world is going to end. Why is it important that you know the world's going to end? I need to forget about the zombie movies and the apocalypse movies you've watched. Because all that I do will breed fear. Why is it important that you know that this world's not going to last? Well, if you read the whole letter that Peter writes, he talks about a bunch of people who have fallen in love with the present world and it's wrecked their lives. They, they, they invested everything in this moment. Think about it. Uh, how, how happy would you be if you sunk all your money in Oceanside property, Seaside property, Gulfside property right before Hurricane Katrina, New Orleans right on the water right before the hurricane? You would have lost everything. And if you knew about that hurricane that was coming, you wouldn't invest in something that was going to be washed away in a moment. Right? right? So he's talking about people that have given up on eternity and have begun to just say, let's just live for today. Well, there's a problem with just living for today because today is just the passing note to the chord that's coming. There's a tension right now in that passing note. If you're not a musician, you may not know what I'm talking about. But passing notes aren't notes that you normally find. Like, uh, let's say a song is in 4-4 time. Okay, so 4-4 four, four time means we count it out 1, 2, 3, 4. And, and usually in 4-4 four, four time, every four counts, we switch chords because that's a full bar. But we'll have these chords that are called passing notes, and they're only played for like one beat or even a half beat, and they're just moving you on to the next chord. You don't put your focus on those chords. You're not supposed to stay on them. They're just passing, and sometimes they're attention. They don't, they don't sound like they belong. You know, like, um, I didn't plan to do this, but what, whatever. So if we're just kind of going, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three, four. So we're just counting one, two, three, four. You kind of can already predict what I'm going to change, right? What if I do this? Oh, see, that passing note is quick. Now, watch what happens if I stay too long on that passing note. So, oh, you're saying, beautiful, I can hear birds. There's flowers. Now, here's the passing note coming up. Now, if I stay too long, it, it, it's kind of weird. The song wasn't meant to stay on that passing note. It's not supposed to be your resting place. There's a little tension in it. You feel uncomfortable. Somebody wants to get up and go to the bathroom. This isn't a comfortable chord. It's only supposed to be a passing note. I, this is probably going to sound like trash on the podcast. So watch this. Oh, we're just passing. Now, if I just play it. 
It actually has a place. Because it's just setting you up for the next chord. This whole life we're living is a brief passing note that's just setting you up for the next chord. You're not supposed to spend all your time thinking about this moment. This moment matters more than you could know, but don't sink all your cards into this moment. Don't invest in this moment. Invest, use this moment to invest in the next one. Because you got a life ahead of you that's going to last for eternity. That's going to last for eternity. There is no end to it. If you think about that too much, it snaps your brain. And you, get, you just want to take an Advil and go to sleep. But it, it, it's going to last for eternity. And God has chosen this moment not to be a, a pointless exercise in suffering. He's chosen this moment to prepare you for, the, for everything else. He's chosen this moment to train you for everything else. He's chosen this moment for you to sink everything into the next one. This moment is more important than you could ever give it credit for. These however many decades that you have on this planet. Planet 1.0. However long you have here, it's not pointless. See, some people would think, well, if, if it's all going to go away, it's pointless. I don't need to worry about this life. That's not what he's saying. In fact, he's saying it really does matter what you do here. You're going to be resurrected. Paul said, he talked about the resurrection. He talked about our bodies even are going to be resurrected. And we're going to be given a new body. And he says, when you know this, it'll help you. Because he says, because of this, let's keep doing what we're doing, knowing that our work is not in vain. You know what he's saying? You're not wasting your time. Somebody might say, if the world's going to pass away, why am I wasting my time doing anything? And he says, you're not wasting your time. You're investing in the next life. Because in fact, he is not creating a whole new planet. He's creating a new heaven and a new earth. He's giving you a new body. But there's a resurrection that's happening. Everything will be redeemed. So it matters what you do in this body. It matters what you do on this earth. But you don't sow into this age. You can sink your life. You can sow your life. You can invest your life in the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of heaven. See, my ancestors, um, I had a couple of them that fought for the Union Army in uh, the Civil War and, and many of them that fought for the Confederate Army in the Civil War. I, I have somewhere, and I don't know where it is right at the moment, but I have somewhere some Confederate money. So if you're not familiar, the, the Confederacy was, was the South in the Civil War. And they said, we're going to be our own country, so we need to have our own currency. So they actually made their own Confederate money. Now, that money was worth something for like three years, three, four years. And then it was worth nothing. Once the Confederacy fell, once the, the, the North won, Confederate money was worth nothing. It's like World War II, like... Not, you know, not, you know, Nazi German Deutschmarks, you know, Reichmarks. That money wasn't worth barely anything because, I mean, the empire fell. So if you invest your life, your energy, your treasure in the current kingdom of this world, it's not going to be worth much in, in a little bit because that's all going away. But he says there is a kingdom that will not be shaken. There is a kingdom that's going to endure forever. And if we invest in that kingdom, 
The harvest is great. The reward is great. So Peter's been talking about people that are really just living for this world. And he goes, guys, this world's not going to last. This world you fell in love with, it's so temporary. He says, it escapes your notice that the whole world was formed from water and God flooded it with water when Noah, it, when Noah was alive. He said, but this time it's going to be destroyed by fire. It won't last very long. So don't invest in it. Invest in what's going to last. Listen to how he says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, since the world's going to go away, what kind of people should we be? What kind of people ought we be in holy conduct and godliness? Do you know knowing that this is all temporary will cause you to live in holy conduct and godliness? And in fact, if you want to know how, what kind of lifestyle is going to last, what kind of, what kind of things that can I do? I want to build things that are still going to be around. I want to build something that's going to last when I'm gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. We've stood in ancient places. We went to Greece with Spiro and Tina. It's cool to see these ruins that have been there for thousands of years. If you were in Egypt and see the pyramids of Giza or you're in Mexico and see the, the ruins at Chichen Itza, you see these thousands of year old uh, monuments and you go, isn't it amazing? Someone built this thousands of years ago and it's still here. We're impressed in our area. We're impressed when something's been around for a hundred years. Right? But that's a baby building to them. They've got thousands of years in these things. I mean, they've been around. And you go, well, you man, wouldn't it be amazing to build something that's going to be around for thousands of years? But remember, a thousand years to God can pass just like a day. That's really not that long. If you built a house and it lasted for 10 days, would that be impressive? <laughs> would you get more business? <laughs> I don't think a lot of people would be hiring you. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 that there's going to be people that spent their whole life building something and it'll be destroyed by fire when it's tested because they built on the wrong foundation and they built with the wrong materials. They built cheap rather than built solid. And it says at the end of the day, they'll stand before God and there'll be nothing to show for their life. They themselves will be saved as though through fire. So God saved them because they believed in Jesus. Thank God. They're not going to hell. Hallelujah. There's some rejoicing. But they look around and they should have something to show and they've got nothing. Because though they themselves are saved, their work's gone. And that's, he says, they'll suffer loss. They'll suffer loss on that day. They'll, they'll have the mixed emotions of saying, I'm saved, but I sure wish I had done something else with my life. So I worked hard. I worked hard for 65 years of my life. And I thought what I was building would last, and there's nothing here. There'll be people that build ministries and churches that won't be around. You know, it, it, the word church may not be around for two generations, but I pray that what we've sown, what we've built, the lives we've touched, the, the, thing, the word we've preached, whether it's in the form of the word church or something else, I want something to be standing doesn't have to be a building. It doesn't have to be a name. It doesn't have to be a corporation. It just needs to be the work of the Lord enduring generation after generation. That's what I want to see. So he's saying here, you want to know what's going to last. 
It's the stuff you did in holiness and godliness. Those are the kind of people we ought to be because that's the kind of stuff. You're, those are the seeds that are going to last. Those are the, those are the building blocks that are going to last forever. Isn't it interesting that knowing the world's going to end would cause you to live better? And it's not because you know the world's going to end and you're afraid. It's because you know the world's going to end so it's not worth wasting your time on. Now, don't get me wrong. Some people might hear that and say, it's not worth wasting my time on people. That's the opposite. We should model our lives after Jesus. He invested in people because people are eternal. The love we show is eternal. Right? It's the rest of the stuff. And he says this. Come on, guys. I'm not saying you shouldn't have investments. I'm not saying you shouldn't build a house. You know, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, what's your life going to be about? What's your focus going to be? He says this. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, the elements will melt with intense heat. Can you imagine? He's saying every element will be just like melted down. That's amazing. On an elemental level, he's going to start everything new. And you go, why does he have to do that? He has to do that so he can build it back right. We wrecked it. You know the old pottery barn thing? You break it, you bought it. We broke it, but he bought it back. You know, thank God, because we couldn't afford it. <laughs> you know, I mean, you ever see a kid break something in one of those stores and you go, I know that kid can't buy that. <laughs> we broke it, he bought it. The only way the world is going to be right again is he's going to start from scratch again. Do you know, he doesn't say people are going to be destroyed. He says the earth and all its elements, well, even the heavens. So you know something? He's pointing again to the fact that we're eternal. This is temporary. You're eternal. He says this, but according to his promise, we are looking we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What does that mean in which righteousness dwells? It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where things are right again. Things work like they're supposed to. God's will is done. Therefore, beloved, therefore, beloved, because of all that, since you look for these things, listen to that. Since you look for these things, how did we start? There's going to be people giving up on Jesus coming back. He says, you, you should be looking for the day of the Lord. Hang on. He didn't just say you're supposed to be looking for it. What else did he say? Looking for and hastening. What does hastening mean? You're, you're making it come faster. Hastening means you're speeding it up. Did you know we have a part to play in speeding up the day of the Lord. That seems to mess with our heads because we say, well, didn't God already set the day? God already knows. But we have a part to play in getting it here. How do we do that? Preach the gospel. Spread the good, spread the good news. Do, build, plant, do what God called to do. Invest in the kingdom. He says, we're looking for the day of the Lord. We're actually hastening the day of the Lord. If we're, if we're living this life, if we are seeking the kingdom and his righteousness, if the day of the Lord can come faster. Why? Why is it being delayed? Because God is patient. 
So what's God waiting for? He's waiting for more and more of people to come to him, to be saved, to be rescued. So if we'll go and invest and get into his business of saving people, if we would get back into the business of seeking and saving the lost, if we would get back to his mission, then we are actually speeding up his return. We're hastening the day of the Lord. That's pretty cool. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, this is why it's so important that you look forward to the return of Christ, that you don't tune it out, that you don't say, I'm tired of hearing that, that you don't say, I just don't know anymore. People have been talking about it, and I'm just tired of it, that you continue to keep your heart soft and expectant to God, that you're saying, he's coming, he's coming, and I'm excited for his coming. Because he says, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. So we should be saying, thank you, Jesus, that you're coming soon. And thank you, Jesus, that you haven't come yet. <laughs> can you say both those things at the same time? Thank you. We can say that. We can say, thank you, Lord, for, that you're coming. Thank you, Lord, that you're coming soon. And thank you for not coming yet because we got stuff to do. You can, both can be true. And he says this, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all of his letters, speaking of them in these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, <laughs> yeah, as they do also the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. What's God want you to be in this time, in this age, in this season? He wants you to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He wants you to be keeping on. He wants you to keep moving forward. Steadfast doesn't mean you're standing in the same place. Steadfast means you are still on the path he puts you on. You're steady. You're not moved off of your path. You're not rocked off by this that happened or this person that said this or this person that fell or whatever. You're still going. But grow. Listen to this. This is why steadfastness doesn't mean staying in the same place for 50 years. Oh, I'm still the same person I've been 50 years ago. I preached it 50 years ago. I preach it now. Thank God. There are some things we should be preaching the same for 50 years. But you should also be growing. You're not going to be the same person in 50 years. You're not going to be the same person in five years. I pray you're not the same person next month. Because you should be steadfast. But here's what steadfast looks like. It's forward and upward to the call of God. It says grow in the grace. Grow in the grace. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. That's powerful. What sort of people should we be? Because of this, he says, what, because we know the world's going to be destroyed, what sort of people ought we be in godliness and holiness? When you look at this world as temporary, and you look at the work of God as eternal, then you believe what the Bible says. The things that are seen are temporary. The things that are unseen are eternal. The things that are temporary are not worth a lot, but the things that are eternal are worth everything. 
That's worth everything. That's the treasure in the field that you sell everything to get. The eternal is all that's going to be here. So let's invest in it with everything. Would it be, what would it be like if there was a movie about the end of the world? If you said, you, you, you want to see some people who believe the world's about to end? And they're not running like chickens with their heads cut off. They're not frantically digging holes in the ground. People that believe the world's going to end, they're loving people with all their heart. They're preaching the gospel. They're giving to the poor. They're living out Jesus in everyday life because they say, I don't know how many days we've got, but I know every day is valuable. That's what people who believe the world's going to end should look like. Right? It's not Hollywood's version of people that believe the world's going to end. It's not Ben Affleck going up in a rocket ship with an Aerosmith song in the background. <laughs> what it looks like is a group of people who say what the scripture says, making the most of your time. Literally in the Greek, it says buying back the time because the days are evil. We have this time. Let's use it with everything we've got because God's given us this valuable piece of time this valuable real estate of time. You have this breath he gave you. You have breath he breathed into you and every one of those breaths has purpose and value and meaning and let's use it, let's spend it. Let's spend every bit of our lives. See, if you could go back to 1985 and a young Bill Gates is starting a company and you had some money and you went back in a time machine. We all wish there was a time machine, right? <laughs> if you could go back and you could invest in that company, if you could invest in Microsoft, you could invest in Apple, would you? Yeah, you would. Would you invest like five bucks? You would invest everything you could get your hand on because you know what it's going to be worth. If we could go back, if we could step into eternity and then come back for a moment, how would we see life differently? I've done funerals for people that I didn't know where they went. I've done funerals for people I, I did. Their life showed no fruit of salvation. I didn't know if they believed or not. It's really tough to do a funeral for someone where you don't know what, what their reality is. It's a wonderful thing to be able to do a funeral for somebody who believed in Jesus. Because we all can encourage each other with that hope. But I've done funerals where I just didn't know. That's the funny thing is, I've known people are with Jesus, but I've never known without a shadow of a doubt that people were in hell. Because I don't know. You know what I mean? I'm not the judge. I don't know what they said. I don't know what they believed exactly. I can say I, they didn't give me as much hope as maybe this guy, but I don't know. So what do you say to a funeral like that? One of the things I've said in those situations, because it's sticky, right? You have some religious people that are standing at the back, and they want you to condemn the person that just died, but those, that guy's dead. What's it going to do? Right? I'm not preaching for him. Whatever his reality is, he's in it. <laughs> and, and, and if God thought I was worthy of handling everybody's, the knowledge of everybody's eternal soul, then he would have given that to me, but he hasn't. So... So one of the, yeah, right? How could I handle that? So one of the things I've said is, and, and whether or not this person went one way or the other, you can say this with all truth. 
One of the things I said is, if this person could come back and preach at their own funeral, I wonder what they'd say. Whether or not they went to heaven or hell, I bet they'd preach something different. I bet they'd come back and say, this matters, guys. If you could go back and say, look, I've been to the others. I know it's beyond this life. This matters. I bet they'd preach that message better than I could. So why don't we, since we already know, we've already been shown a preview. We know what's going to happen. We have the privilege of seeing what's going to happen. So let's live like we know what's going to happen. Let's live like you've been in a time machine. Because the God who lived outside of time showed you what's going to happen. Live like it. You have the blessing of coming back. You came back in a time machine. Someone did it for you. And said, this is what's going to happen. Invest everything in the kingdom of God. Because it's, it's worth it. That's the only thing that's going to be left standing. We should be people looking forward to his return. But thanking him that he gave us this time. Let's use every moment of it. Amen. Stand up with me.